welcome to Meet the PAs podcast. Hear the experiences of seasoned PAs, up and coming development of policy from industry leaders, and the exploration of those new to the career. Interviews done with a Canadian twist at Maple Syrup. Well, welcome, Denise. We have everyone. We have Denise O'Leary here today. Every, you all know that she is the Ontario chapter president for CAFA. She also holds a faculty position at the University of Toronto, and she continues to practice clinically in family medicine. Welcome. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you guys for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here and talk with you guys tonight. Excellent. We're glad to have you. I think there's a lot of listeners who are interested to hear what you have to say. Before we get into the real nitty-gritty details, tell us how you got started even uh, with the Canadian Association of Physician Assistants. What got you interested? What attracted you and all that? Um, I just definitely saw that there was a role for someone to connect a lot of the different pieces together. So um, I moved up here in 2009, um, right as the McMaster program had started and they were in their first year. I got a job as an assistant professor at McMaster to move up from the States on a short-term contract. So I had a contract to come up for two years. Of course, I was very much of a, a dreamer thinking that I could come up for two years and they'd start off the program and it would go well and it would be funded and regulated and everything <laughs> ready for me to go home in two years from now. <laughs> nine years later. Yeah, right. Well, I think, but that's that when you're coming from the States and, and you're, you're not, I mean, you didn't start in the States when things were really struggling. So, you know, when you come here, you think, well, of course they want to have it. So why wouldn't things just move right along like they're supposed to? <laughs> yes, exactly. So like I was saying, about nine years later, I'm still here. And that's a lot of what inspired me. Just watching, I've kept in touch with this, some of the students every year that I've taught for the last nine years and just seeing all the different struggles and being able to really enjoy being a mentor and networking people together. If I would talk to somebody and they were, you know, in um, orthopedics and they were struggling and I knew somebody else who graduated a few years earlier in orthopedics, I could connect them together about medical directives, about funding, about challenges with hospitals. And it was great. I really enjoyed doing that, but it was also very time consuming to try to be the person who links all the other people together. So I kept trying to think of different ways that we could improve that and make changes. And of course, it's always great to have lots of ideas. But if you don't have the structure behind you to implement some of the ideas, it makes it a bit harder. So I was really talking with a couple of the different PAs at some conferences and um, a group of PAs kept approaching me asking me to um, put my, my own name in to be the Ontario chapter president. And um, I just didn't think I had the time and the energy to be able to give as much as I would want to give to the organization. Um, but they convinced me over lunch that <laughs> I would have lots of help and support and uh, through all the different years that people would be very interested and willing to help with different initiatives around whatever I needed. If I needed help with funding information or regulation 
and and it is true. I mean, I really do love um, connecting people together and networking people together. Um, that's definitely one of my passions. So um, with their encouragement, and thankfully my husband was very understanding because he realized that this would be a volunteer position that would take numerous hours um, out of the week each week. Um, but so I go, went ahead and um, I guess you could say applied. I put my put my name in the hat for um, to be elected um, in the running for the Ontario chapter president a few years ago, um, and then this last year uh, was reelected for another two-year term. I tried to get somebody to replace me. Tried a few people, um, <laughs> but didn't really have anybody who felt quite ready yet. So hopefully, uh, in another year, when my term's over, we can convince some really good leaders to step forward. Because uh, for all the listeners here, there is a four-year max. So I will be at the end of my four years in the next uh, year, year and a half. So we will need somebody very strong to take over. Um, hopefully, to keep pushing the funding and the regulation. If we don't already have all those things in place, which I really hope we do by the time I leave. Um, but if we don't, um, some really strong leadership so things don't start sliding backwards. So in case there happens to be a listener who may be thinking about it, what, what kind of time commitment is there involved in this? Um, I, I would say, I mean, you can kind of, it is a volunteer position, so you could make it uh, as, as many different projects and activities as you would like. Technically, the standard commitment is we have, I think it's five board meetings a year. Um, they are online to their conference call in to Ottawa. So you don't need to travel or anything like that, which is good. We do travel once a year um, to where the uh, Kappa conference is being held. So this next year, it's going to be held in Victoria, BC in 2018. So um, we all travel there. We have a day long meeting uh, before the conference starts. So that's the um, requirements. On top of that, I do a lot of other things too. So we meet with the ministry. Um, we meet with the LINs. Um, I'm part of the uh, PA integration committee through the Ministry of Health. Other things, uh, problem solving. Uh, a lot of my problem solving <laughs> skills get, get worked out on a daily basis, if not a weekly basis. Um, so lots of different, um, very unique problems and complex problems here in Ontario, where I could honestly say a lot of times the same two or three problems do tend to show up year after year but there's lots of unique problems of things that I have never heard of before or we're trying to figure out the best solution or something to be able to support the PAs that are um, coming to us uh, my husband laughs because he knows it's not just uh, the emails that I get I get um, emails phone calls text messages Facebook messages <laughs> people find me at work people see me at conferences people see me at you know the the PA local integration dinners that we have um, I got a Facebook message last night um, so there's lots of things where it's not just one area I mean the the Ontario chapter email is fantastic like I do get some occasional messages there um, but I find all the other networks even through LinkedIn that um, it's great I like the fact that people feel that they have access to me and I can you know answer them or help them out or um, direct them to somebody else who's got more experience um, in the cases of like unions and things like that that we've been dealing with um, definitely directing people together that I know are having similar problems or people that have more experience um, there's a lot of things that we do within the organization um, typically with Natalie I know she's currently um, not with our organization anymore but we had 
pretty much weekly communication going back and forth about um, different initiatives or different things that we were working on, trying to do a lot of advocacy for sure and making sure we can figure out how to promote ourselves to the lens or um, to get um, some information out to the hospital association with Anne Dang right now, both of us are working on doing a hiring guide for PAs in different fields. So I get a lot of questions from physicians, which again isn't, I guess, technically part of my role, but um, for physicians who are interested in hiring PAs. Um, and I love talking with them or the hospitals that have questions around the integration of PAs because they just aren't understanding, you know, why we're not regulated. They don't understand um, how the funding model works or doesn't work, where the money comes from, you know, the scope of the PA, what kinds of um, certifications the PAs need. So I'm always happy to answer lots of questions. So even if it's not PAs coming to me with questions or concerns, sometimes they'll direct physicians that are interested in the hiring. A lot of times they try to answer the questions if they can, but if they can't answer them, then um, I get quite a lot of uh, emails and phone calls of doctors that are interested, which is wonderful because when I started, we really, I occasionally heard of somebody who was interested in hiring, but um, in the last two years, there's been a lot more phone calls and a lot more emails. And then I've presented at conferences as well. So trying to promote what we do and kind of advocate for our profession and answering millions of questions it feels like maybe not quite that many yet but we'll get there someday <laughs> well I mean that is really good news to hear that you're seeing so much uh, improvement in physicians that are interested so the name of the profession is getting out there even if people aren't understanding exactly how to do that how to integrate a PA how to pay for one how to utilize them to their fullest scope but at least they're hearing of it and they're hearing positive reviews of it or they wouldn't be contacting you for help. Yes, definitely positive reviews. That's one of the other things I love too. So when I go to conferences, like I was at the um, Prime Ed conference for primary care, um, let's see, about three weeks ago. And, you know, as people come by, they kind of look at the sign and they look at us. And I was technically there for the conference, but, you know, I tend to find myself to the Kappa booth and start answering questions before anybody asks if I want to help and volunteer. Yeah, just a couple of people that I talked to. I mean, there was plenty of people who had lots of questions. And um, sometimes there's international medical grads who are interested in the program and the role. Um, but I talked to probably seven or eight physicians just in one of the days there who actually have PAs. And it's funny because whenever I run into people and say, you know, I'm a physician assistant and they say, oh, I have one of those. And of course, I'm interested. Where do you work? Who do you have? Did I teach them? So we always get into a conversation <laughs> fairly quickly and very rarely is it somebody that I don't know or haven't met. So it's really interesting. But the one thing I really love about it is that then inevitably at some point in the conversation, they, oh, and we love our PA. And that just <laughs> My heart because you know it's it's wonderful to be appreciated and it's wonderful to say oh they show up for work or they're responsible like there's a lot of things that they could say but almost always somewhere in the conversation they'll say you know we love our PA or he or she they're irreplaceable or we can't imagine how we would work without a PA and I just feel like if I could just capture all of that and put in a really long document that every <laughs> physician and healthcare advocate and stakeholder and ministry person would have to read is like nighttime bedtime reading that would be amazing 
that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> it, w- it would be lovely. It's really nice to hear that good feedback though, especially, especially the improvement in the feedback, because like you said, when you started, you really weren't getting comments from physicians. And so that's been a huge turnaround and speaks to your ability to advocate and make yourself easily accessible to those in the healthcare field, not just other PAs. Yeah, for sure. And I even at the conferences, um, a lot of times if I go through, through things with our family health team, um, you know, I'll sit by and I talk to the nurses and the pharmacists and the dietitians because, again, it's not so much that we only need to be advocating to a, sta- a specific stakeholder or to, um, you know, a physician that may want to hire us. It's just letting people know that we're here and what we do for the practice and how they can benefit from having a PA in their practice, um, I think is is huge and some of those contacts have been great as I've worked with them and they've gone out into other practices they'll text me or email me back and say you know they don't have a physician assistant here and you know I'm like where we should get them one mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> brought up stakeholders so obviously we need to advocate to everyone not just stakeholders but who are state the, the stakeholders in Ontario that we are paying attention to or that you are paying attention to Well, a lot of this, our CEO, Patrick Nelson, um, takes care of as far as certain people throughout the government. The big ones that we do try to target the most are obviously the Minister of Health. So that's switched over. Obviously, it used to be uh, Dr. Hoskins, and now it's uh, Dr. Helena Jarik. I can't pronounce it. Jazek? There you go. There we go. In addition to her, um, there's different branches of the Ministry of Health. So there's um, different working committees. There's different groups that are in charge of the regulation, that are in charge of the funding. There's obviously the CPSO. There's different groups of um, the AFTO, which is the uh, Association of Family Health Teams. There's the OHA, which is the Ontario Hospital Association. I've learned lots of acronyms too. <laughs> so if I say an acronym that we all don't know. Um, and uh, obviously, I mean, there's so many different areas within the healthcare system. So sometimes it's members who are interested in learning more about our organization. And sometimes it can just be at conferences where people will come up and say that, you know, they're not familiar with our organization or people from the lens who, again, I might meet at a conference or um, at, a, at a meeting and they'll come up and say, oh, I've got, had some questions about physician assistance. But you can, you can rest assured that if I find somebody who seems like they might be interested or influential, I will go up and talk their ear off about how <laughs> PAs in Ontario are. I don't think you could ever say I'm quiet during a meeting. <laughs> That I well no you are you are a good talker and that's a good thing <laughs> yeah sort of key for this role I would think mm-hmm. sort of along that vein how have the meetings been going with the new minister of health who just took over um, well with with the new minister of health I haven't had any specific meetings because again our government obviously is is changing over and um, or potentially changing over depending on how it goes in the election in the next uh, very short term yeah we should met, we should mention we're recording this at the end of May the elections June 7th um, and this podcast won't actually be released until after that election so we'll know who won at the, at the time this released? 
So we'll have to have an update at the very yes. end of the <laughs> podcast. One. Yes. Um, so what we're kind of hoping for is that, um, you know, if the government does change over, um, and a lot of people are saying that that looks likely, the challenge that we have is it takes such a long time to push the agenda forward to explain that we're, you know, um, a really good investment financially for the government that we're very safe that we need to be regulated that we should be funded that we can save the money help you know with the healthcare system with being able to admit patients easier you know decrease the wait times in the ERs be able to discharge patients so that the emergency rooms and the um, you know internal medicine floors and all the different floors aren't so bogged down with patients to really help the healthcare flow of the system and it feels like a lot of the times right when we get to the point where a lot of people either on the committees understand or the minister understands what the need is and things start moving forward, we get really excited when they move forward and they start moving forward either slowly or rapidly. And then there's some kind of change that happens either with the committee or with the minister of health or again now with the election. Um, and it just makes it frustrating because you know that if, if a new person is there, you don't need to hopefully start all over again. But you do have to kind of explain again and start from the beginning of who we are and what we do. The good thing is, is that the other two parties, we've had a different dialogues with the health critics. So they do know quite a bit about our organization and they do know where we stand on regulation and funding and some of the concerns that we have and the fact that we do want to be regulated through the CPSO. So there is a lot of education that's going on. Even this last year when we had so we've had two um, meetings, uh, lobby days is what we've called them, but at Queen's Park where we've rented out a room and lots of PAs have come the first year. I, I can't remember, Rebecca, did you come for either of the two years? Yeah, I went last year. Yeah, I went in 2017. Mm-hmm. The first year when we were doing it, we were not sure how many PAs were going to come. And we thought, I think they were hoping for maybe 15 or 20, which I didn't think was nearly good enough if we were, you know, marching on Queen's Park, which isn't Mm -hmm. really what we were doing. We were renting out a room and providing lunch for the MPPs and the Minister of Health to come. (laughs) Um, But if we were going to Queen's Park and we were showing that this is really a concern that we're not funded and we're not regulated and we really wanted to stand together as an organization, I just didn't think it would have any impact if we had like seven to 10 PAs show up. And the challenge is it was on a work day, you know, everybody's working. So it makes it really hard. But again, that's where my networking skills came very handy. Um, And I started, you know, doing the opposite of what everybody does to me. So I emailed, I texted, I Facebooked, I messaged. This is before we kind of had our Ontario PA group through the uh, Facebook chat, just trying to get as many people to come as possible and explaining that it's not just me and Patrick and a couple of other people going to the Minister of Health. Like this is your opportunity to explain what you love about being a PA, what you're frustrated about, what you want the government to do, do, do differently. And we had a lot of people show up, which was amazing. So we ended up having, I think it was almost 80 PAs that came the first time, um, which well exceeded the capacity of the room. Sorry about Mm -hmm. that, but Mm -hmm. we we figured it out. (laughs) 
And then again, it was so successful that we decided to do it the second time because that was the advice that we got from the NPPs and from the health critics is if this really is a concern to you, you can't come once and then not come again. You need to keep reminding us over and over again that you're here and that you really want to be included in the healthcare system. So we went again this last year. And again, I think it was quite impactful. I met a lot of new people there that I hadn't met the previous years. Um, and some of the MPPs had come before. Or again, we encourage the PAs to go out and talk to their MPPs and actually personally invite them. So they knew that they were coming to meet people from the riding because we said, we'll be there waiting for you. Really exciting to have them at least know and understand because my fear is if something does come to the floor and we're trying to do what Alberta's done and Manitoba's done and, you know, get maybe a, a bill passed or some kind of legislation passed to include PAs into, you know, one of the acts or, um, you know, with our medical uh, directives and delegation and all of the different things. And if half the people in the room don't understand and they just think that we're a medical assistant and so no no, we don't need to fund them. They're, they can be funded through a doctor. I want to make sure that they understand what our role is and, and how we are impacting and improving the care for patients in Ontario. I think that brings up a really good comparison. You know, you brought up Alberta and Manitoba. Manitoba certainly did it in advance of, of the rest of us, but Alberta has recently accomplished this task. And I guess, you know, Rach and I always wonder why is it that the two of them and, and New Brunswick as well have made strides at a faster pace than Ontario? Is our Ontario government just notoriously slow that we can't move through stuff? Or is, or is it too there, big? Or? Is it too big? Like what is the, I mean, maybe you can't even pinpoint it, but what is the... What's, the, What's the mud that we are stuck in? <laughs> yeah, that is a fantastic question. And that's the <laughs> question that made me uh, get into this role in the first place. Because I was like, it can't be this hard. Like, I came up from the States. We save you money. We improve access. We help doctors be happy and not leave. You know, rural doctors will yes. want some rule because they'll be like, oh, I have some support and I don't have to be on call for this community for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for my entire career. Like there is somebody else that they can call or that these patients can see and that can care for them. Mm -hmm. um, so it definitely is very frustrating when you see it from, you know, the lens of the person who feels like you have a solution that can contribute to the healthcare um, <laughs> frustrations. I I think part of it is really the appetite for um, government to be able to change and to be able to, to follow through with the plan that's there. If there's a huge need, which uh, it sounds like in Alberta, there's getting to be a bigger need as well. In Manitoba, that's really where the PAs started. So they started back, um, I believe it was in the 90s, with the clinical assistants. And then they um, obviously started training through the University of Manitoba for the physician assistants. So they have both clinical assistants and physician assistants. So they did have a good model. And I heard when you guys were talking with um, Chris, when you did your podcast mm -hmm. with him, he talked about, again, being on the forefront of, you know, it's starting there. And it, it does go slow and it is a rocky start until the people in power are on board and they see the value and we can kind of bring them some of the Conference Board of Canada stuff that we've done, which has really been to try to help in Ontario for sure, but also to try to help in the other provinces of showing 
how we help and how we're able to make an impact within the healthcare system um, and some of those different recommendations because a lot of the meetings we were having they definitely were saying well show us the proof how many dollars are you saving or how many patients leave earlier and the hard thing is is because we don't have a licensing number or a registry number mm -hmm. or an OHIP billing number it's very difficult because we kind yeah. of are a bit in the shadows as far as tracking goes mm -hmm. um, I've heard from some of the ERPAs that when they've got their um, I don't know what they're called. I think they're, Rachel, you could jump in here. It's the um, time to be seen, like the. Yeah, time to yeah. first assessment. Exactly. Depending on your exactly. Yeah. So um, it's sometimes they're, they're telling me that the time that the PA sees them, so maybe they get to the ER and the PA sees them amazingly within 15, 30 minutes, something like that. The time clock actually doesn't start even in some of the emergency rooms until that physician actually sees them. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. what is yeah. the point that so if the physician what? doesn't see them for four hours, but the PA has already seen them and they're ready to go and they're ready to be exactly. discharged. By the time, by the, exactly by the time yeah. the doc sees them, they're being discharged. That's not the time you right. mark to first being seen. Exactly. Yeah, it's the so way. I think that's recorded. some of the challenge. Yeah. yeah. My hospital was doing that until I was like, this is, and I didn't find out about it until I'd already been there for four or five years. Right. And they're like, yeah, your time doesn't count. I don't know why you're writing. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and so like now both times are recorded, but I don't know if it counts to our like, it should, I think it now counts towards our time to like be seen. So we, cause we have CTAS targets, right? Like, yeah. you, have to, like you know, based on their CTAS level, like how sick they are, um, right. then we have to see them within such and such an amount of time. I think that's changed now, but yeah, it was a big issue. But in other hospitals, they use that time to actually fund the PA positions. Because right. they brought the wait times down so much, they're meeting their targets, they're getting extra funding because they're meeting their targets. And mm -hmm. so they use that money to fund the PA position. So it's, it's an individual hospital thing, like whether they like the way it's recorded. Um, but yeah, I, that could be to like, that would make it impossible to track. Like if they wow. just didn't record the PA time, then it would just like, it's literally, you'd have to go hunting for it. You'd have to go back through every single merge record and pull it out to do any sort of statistical analysis. Well, and no wonder it's a challenge in Ontario to track that because if every hospital is tracking that differently, like they have to no put it in, but nobody's like it, it didn't, when PAs came out, they weren't like, okay, now you have a PA, you have to track it like this. Like that never happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, because it's different from hospital to hospital and it does determine the funding. And like you said, Rachel, if people don't know this for three or four years and their position gets cut or they look at it and they say, oh, well, you're not really saving any time or you're not able to see the patients faster just because of the fact that they can't be tracked or they didn't know that they needed to be tracked. Again, if yeah. we're very good at following directions. If you tell the PAs that this is what you need and it needs to get done like this, we can easily follow those directions and be able to prove the numbers that you're there and seeing patients. The other thing I've heard in emergency rooms as well is if the PAs are staffing the emergency rooms, for example, during the daytime and then at the night there's no PAs and at nighttime there's, you know, much longer waits and they're, you know, the beds are backing up and the hospital's back. Then in the mornings, the PAs come back in and they can clear through that. They're actually counting some of those. Um, when they're looking at the statistics, they're counting all 24 hours. They're not only counting the hours that the PAs are there making an impact. So yeah. it would be a huge impact if you have two PAs you know, during the daytime. But if you have nothing in the evenings or you only have one PA on during the weekends, they really should be tracking the time where the PAs are actually employed and able to work and make a difference. Yeah. It's really unfair if you're tracking the time where there's not the extra person there to be able to provide the care.
Interesting. Yeah. So this kind of tracking would, would have to be back to the individual PA employed at that particular ER, right? Like there's not any other way to kind of get that out? Not without having a, a number assigned to us, right? Like there's no way <laughs> yeah. for the government exactly. to have st- to even collect stats, let alone analyze them mm-hmm. if there's no way of tracking like who wrote that time in. Right. Like, right. So... Yeah. And that's why, like, I mean, again, it doesn't have to be a specific number, but even the PAs that were in the demonstration projects had like a tracking number. So you could track the amount of patients they saw or what types of patients they saw because they needed all of that for the pilot project and the demonstration project to show that it worked and it was really effective, which it did. But again, if we're not tracking it, then the PAs are doing an amazing job when you talk to the physicians and when you talk to the hospital staff, for example, but being able to actually show that we're kind of in the shadows still unfortunately and I think that's what makes it so hard sometimes in the discussions is if you walked in and you said okay we're saving you know we're you know a specific amount of money per PA per hospital or per family practice and the the patients don't wait you know two months for an appointment they wait four days for an appointment. If you could really show, you know, the discharge time, you know, went from, you know, them taking a day to be discharged to they get discharged within an hour or two hours of being ready and that bed's freed up, uh, that would make a huge difference. But again, that we've got to find some way, I think, in Ontario to try to coordinate that, even if we don't have a specific billing number. And I think that would take the PAs and those specialties to be able to figure out what would work for them in the hospital. And again, if it works in that hospital, if the other hospitals are funded the same way, say in the eMERGE, because again, I know the eMERGE unit sometimes can be funded different in different hospitals, which yeah, I didn't know before, sure. but I've learned all of this stuff saying, well, how come you can't just do the eMERGE is all the same? And then the physicians in the hospitals and the ERPAs all explained to me, oh, my hospital is not the same as that one or that one yeah. or that one. They're all funded um, differently. Yeah, which and really going to some of these meetings when I've realized how different the physicians are funded and how different LINs do do things differently with their funding, how the hospitals do things differently, and then how even within the hospital, the different departments are different. It's no wonder that it's really difficult for all of us to figure it out because I can hear like a great solution from like an eMERGE and I'll tell somebody else to try to use it in their eMERGE and it won't work because the funding is completely different. So at this point, knowing that, that, that all of these places are run differently, does Kappa or just the Ontario chapter have any ideas or plan to come forward and maybe email everybody who's working or, or registered with Kappa and say, okay, here are some steps. We need to get a way to track you, make sure that your place, the place you're at is tracking, et cetera. There's discussion. I don't think that there's a specific plan in place because it's such a a large, again, if we could have the government give us a specific number, if it was just even a tracking number, not a billing number, that would be amazing. That would be a way to track. The hard thing is, is we've talked about it at the last two conferences of trying to figure out how we can keep statistics and how we can track the type of patients, the, you know, amount of time that we see the patients for, you know, kind of how we're making an impact. 
but it is something I think that we're eventually, if the government doesn't do it or, or mandate us to do it a specific way, I think if we take it on ourselves, we'll have to do it in a great enough scale that it's not one PA working in nephrology who's got statistics. Like that's very, very helpful for sure. But if we can have 12 or, you know, 12 PAs in orthopedic surgery um, that can provide statistics and data, then it can be more significant, especially Absolutely. if there's only 12 in the province. Like Absolutely. if you can get everybody to participate. But I think sometimes in Ontario, that's the challenge is that it's difficult for us to find people to participate in things because everybody knows that it's needed, but we're all working so hard to try to make sure that we're still employed and that we're keeping our jobs that, you know, to do a, a quality improvement project or to do an additional project when you don't have any direction of what the the goal is what the motive is how to get it done some kind of resources to be able to use it makes it really frustrating we need to recruit some phd candidates to do their thesis yeah, yeah, right? that sounds wonderful yeah. i think we could definitely uh find find a few people who would be interested in a in a project <laughs> So I'm going to sort of take a little bit of a step back here. My favorite thing to find out about PAs when we're talking to them is sort of how they became a PA and what made sort of drew them to the profession. Mm -hmm. I always love listening to that question in your podcast because <laughs> I'm always interested in why people become a PA, especially here in Ontario. Um, in the States, it's kind of easy because it's not a brand new path. You're not a trailblazer. It's not extremely difficult. So I could tell you my story, but the other thing when I talk to Ontario PAs is I find, again, interviewing at the schools for the last, like, probably eight years, um, is that a lot of people, you always hear the same information that people, of course, we all want the flexibility, we want to be able to change professions, we want to be able to help others and work in the healthcare team, and that all definitely applies to me. But I think in Ontario, one of the things that I see that's really unique compared to when I used to interview for um, schools in the States is that uh, people are really passionate. Like I talk to a fair amount of students who are interested in um, applying for the programs or people like right after they've gotten in that find my email or somebody gives them my contact information. They're really excited. They're really passionate. They have a lot of questions. They really have like something special about them. They've kind of got a, a drive or a fire that they really want um, they're risk taker, actually. They really want to be a part of something new and different and something that they can kind of shape and mold, um, which I don't find so much in, in some of the other professions. Sometimes when I talk to, you know, nursing students or physicians or um, maybe like uh, pathology students and, and students that I'll, I'll run into in, in different walks or different things through their university, sometimes, of course, they have that. But I find a lot of times when you get in a group of PA students and you give them an idea or a task or a challenge they're like all in for it even if you tell them that it's not very easy or very possible you're going to have to kind of creatively think your way around this and I think sometimes as faculty we just do that to be fun because we know that this is what your career is going to be like you're going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to be creative with your funding and you're going to have to explain for the hundredth time why you're not regulated and you're going to have to explain how you have a supervisor who's different today than yesterday and like there's no shortage of different things that you have to um, be able to explain and really work well in a team with other people. But for me, going back to California, um, I just absolutely loved medicine. When I was in my undergrad, I was thinking, as most people do, um, of medical school or maybe physiotherapy school. But I really enjoyed, I did athletic training as a student. So I did it in high school with our high school team. And then once I went 
uh, OAT University. Um, I did it with a lot of the university teams, so the soccer team. Uh, we didn't have a football team at the time, um, but we had a really competitive soccer team. We had um, a water polo team. We had um, I did women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, softball. Um, so it was great because I got to go with the athletes. I got to help uh, manage their injuries. Um, but then I got to see the injuries <laughs> as they were happening on the field. You know, the ACL gets torn or their ACL and their PCL get torn. And I get to go on the field and actually do the testing, which I loved. But then I really enjoyed following them all the way through. So I would see them, you know, we'd get them to the hospital. We'd get all the testing done. And then when they'd go in for surgery, surgery, one of the students we had was a foreign student. She was from Croatia. And so she didn't have any family or any support system. So I went with her to the hospital and kind of was following her and helping to kind of communicate what the different diagnoses were. And the orthopedic surgeon that was seeing her um, was from one of the clinics that I was a athletic trainer student from. So I knew of him. And I just asked, I was bold. I just asked if I could be a part of her surgery. Obviously, I didn't touch anything. But if I could just stand there and scrub in and just stand and watch and see, you know, how they do it and, and how surgeries run because I was quite interested in medicine. And I totally remember he, he was surprised, but he was like, um, okay, if I can get clearance, you can come in. Um, <laughs> and so I did. And so I remember just like it was yesterday, um, standing there and you've got the gown on and everything. And you know, it was very clear, don't touch anything. You're going to screw anything. <laughs> And I would just remember looking over and as he was getting ready to like put the scalpel in and, you know, of course the blood was going to start coming. And um, he, he just looked over at me and he said, he said, okay, so this is a moment when I pull this down, there's going to be blood. And I'm thinking, I hope so. <laughs> if that's not the case, then there's a huge problem. Uh, but he was like, a lot of people faint at that moment. If you faint, fall backwards. Do not fall into the table. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you need to be far enough back. And and I was. So I was like, okay. And of course, he you know cuts down to start you know getting into. She had um, a total ACL and PCL tear, so the ligaments that are basically holding the knee and stabilizing them together. And um, as he cut down, and of course there's blood and everything, and and he just looked over to see what I was doing, and I was leaning in as much as I easily could, and you know, interested. And he was amazing. He just showed me all the different um, ligaments and tendons and the meniscus, and he was really a great teacher. And that's just where my passion and love for medicine really got ignited. Where I wanted to figure out how I could get back in that operating room, or back to being able to help students and patients from kind of beginning to end, rather than just in one space of their healthcare. Have you ever contacted them again to credit him with, you know? No, I don't, I couldn't even remember his name now, but I'm sure, I'm sure he had a very long, lustrous career in our community. He was very well known at the time. Is there any specific tidbits and updates that you would have that maybe nobody has heard in their email or? For anything you need from Or what PAs, you need from us, what yeah. What you need from the PAs in Ontario to sort of, help you reach your goals as Ontario chapter president? Oh my goodness, so much I could say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to have podcast number two so I can tell you all the rest. <laughs> um, 
I think, I mean, there's so much to talk about with, with regards to regulation that I've learned in the last year. Um, with regulation and funding, I mean, we could probably have a whole separate podcast on that. Yes, you so, could. Mm-hmm. Um, probably good. <laughs> just, I would say quickly with regulation, um, I know a lot of times people talk about, you know, why is it important that we get regulated? Because that was a question that I used to have as well, of it doesn't really seem to impact me that much in family practice kind of on a day-to-day basis and I've heard you guys talking about that in your we podcast. have mentioned that as well yeah <laughs> um, but some of the things because again I asked a lot of the Ontario members to send me their problems and their concerns without being regulated and so I wrote a couple of them down so that I wouldn't forget but the big things that a lot of us are worried about is title protection which we do talk about that quite mm-hmm. a bit of you know people and instead of being a doctor's assistant or an IMG or a medical assistant if they say that they're a physician assistant or a job's posted for a physician assistant with a much, much lower salary than it should be posted for. Um, Those are things that would be able um, to be changed if we were actually regulated. There's the standard entry to practice requirements. So the fact that they do need to be, um, you know, a certified physician assistant, um, that they need to have their malpractice insurance, like there's different things to protect the public that would be in place, which would be really important. That quality and assurance of oversight um, and the public safety, like we had talked about, um, there's a lot of different things as far as challenges that PAs have that, um, especially in the hospital system from not being regulated. Some of the different things are um, not being able to like talk. uh, Poison control. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Poison control. Yep. Every time I call. Yep. Um, So poison control. Pass me over to a registered health practitioner so I can give you the advice. Exactly. But the crazy thing is if the patient calls themselves, they could give them the advice. Yes. But you can't call in place of the patient because you're not regulated. Hospital privileges. A lot of times if people have hired a PA privately and they want to bring them into the hospital, the hospital has a problem um, giving them privileges. Not every hospital, but I would say at least a few that I've spoken with um, and the PAs that I've spoken with as well that say, you know, they really don't want to bring somebody in who's not regulated, who also is not a hospital employee. Um, So that's another thing people have asked to take additional certifications because, of course, we want to keep up um, with our CMEs. We want to keep up um, and become diabetic educators. People want to do ACLS courses and spirometry. And a lot of those things are only open to people who are part of a regulated health um, profession. That's a good point. And we want our credibility, right? We want the accountability and the credibility for um, being a recognized health profession by the government and by our peers, by the nurses and the doctors. So I do think that it is important and hopefully with the regulation um, or some type of oversight through the CPSO, that will lead us towards the funding piece, which is the big piece that we really need to. That's what we all really want there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the job you security. You want to have me on again. I can talk a lot <laughs> about funding and all the, I can impart all the stuff that I've learned about over the last four years. We, sure d- we uh, yeah, we probably should have an episode about funding and yeah, we probably should at some point do yeah, that. Maybe a whole episode. Step forward. We should have another Yeah. Yeah. I think one about funding and regulation, maybe even, um, you know, towards the end of the summertime or the fall would be wonderful because again, if the government has switched over and we can hopefully have an update about that. But one of the quotes that I always think about that um, I'd love to share with you guys and, and your, uh, 
podcast listeners is um, I think sometimes when I'm sitting in those ministry meetings and I feel so frustrated and, and a bit like, I just want you to see it my way. Like we need, we need more of us. We need to be funded. We need to be regulated. I think of this quote by Albert Einstein and it's just um, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. That's a really good quote. I like that. Does it get it, you through? <laughs> And it does. I mean, it's short and it's sweet. And I think, well, it's really difficult right now. And I know I've talked with some of the PAs in the U.S. that started started out as, you know, the first few sets of PAs that were there. And it was not easy. They had it way more difficult than we do. And it took years and years. And I was trying to look up earlier today the last um, state to actually regulate PAs. I know it's been within the last 15 or 16 years. So oh, even boy. state by state, they regulated slowly, like, you you know might be regulated in one state and then you move for your family or your your job and then all of a sudden you're in an unregulated state so it's not so crazy and unusual that you know they're slowly going across the province it's just when we have the most amount of practicing PAs we have like close to 400 practicing PAs we want to uh, you know be be incorporated and not told that you know we need to have some arbitrary number, I don't know, a thousand or 20,000 or something in order to, you know, reach all of the goals and dreams that we have. Yeah. Yeah. We're on board. Yeah. We're (laughs) on board with that. We do hope, we do hope it comes through. We have talked about that. We don't see it changing day-to-day practice life for most of us, but Mm -hmm. certainly all of those things that you mentioned are, are vitally important and we need, we need it to go through. We need it to go through. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to make sure to mention too is just about the, um, the networking. So um, for PAs who are listening, we do have um, on Facebook this year, Anna and I have created um, specialty groups. So if you, um, I probably should have written down all of them, but there's emergency medicine, there's family practice, there's internal medicine, which includes like cardiology, nephrology, um, there's surgery, there's, uh, there's oncology now, I think, Rebecca, you there guys is, wanted an yeah. oncology group. Yeah, there's so an oncology group. <laughs> we also take requests for people who <laughs> want their own groups. And uh, I'm sure there's another few. For, for PA students who are uh, hoping to be someday PA students, there's the um, Facebook group. It's the Ontario, um, it's Canadian Pre-PA student at work, so they can find out lots of information that way. Um, and then I can give you. Do you guys want me to say my um, email address? Yeah, your contact info. Great. Well, we'll of course also list it on the uh, website post. on the blog post. But yes, please say it. All right, um, it's Ontario Chapter President at Kappa C A P A dash A C A M dot C A. So they can get a hold of me that way. I'm sure that everybody's resourceful. They'll find me on LinkedIn. That's always a good way too. Um, and then the article that you guys were talking about that Anne Dang did, that's through the Canadian PA website. So again, there's lots of great information that she's done, lots of spotlights on different um, PAs throughout the province in Ontario and other provinces, as well as good information for students, good information if people are just learning and interested on... Um, yeah. If anybody hasn't, for some reason, who has listened to this podcast and hasn't checked out Anne's website, you definitely need to. Yeah. <laughs> it is a wealth of knowledge, and she does amazing things on there. And Yeah, she's also a great photographer, a good friend, oh and a God. great photographer. I know. Yeah, so it's just Canadian PA. 
easy to find, easy to look up, and there's all kinds of information that's there. So um, for the PAs, we also have like the local networking groups. So um, I'll give you guys the link so you guys could put that on your um, website as well. And we usually send that out to the PAs once a year so that they can um, network. I think we have 21 different areas. So it's all the way north to Timmins and North Bay, uh, Thunder Bay, all the way down towards St. Catharines and all the way on both other sides of the province as well. So I have been hearing really good things that people are you know, problem solving, they're networking together, they're using each other as resources to you know, change jobs, to move different places within their organizations. So I think it's really great because we've been siloed for so long. It's amazing to be able to have a really good supportive network of PAs to help each other out. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. We'll, and we'll link all of that uh, on the blog posts, all the, the contact information for yourself. All uh, we'll, we'll link as many of the Facebook networking groups as we can, as we can find. <laughs> and, um, and, and then of course, if you can send us that link, we'll also post that for all the in-person networking groups within Ontario as well. And of course, Anne Dang's website, yes. which I'm quite certain most of our listeners have already been to. <laughs> but if not, we'll post it again. Yes. <laughs> I would imagine so. You'd be surprised, though. I didn't know. I mean, I know her personally. I, I taught her as well as a student. But I didn't know that she had a website until she won the award at the Kappa conference a couple of years oh, back. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, yeah. She's impressive. She hadn't mentioned it to me. That she <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she had, and it was just, you know, lost in conversation. But yeah, I mean, it's so great that you guys are doing this podcast and it's so great that you know we've got some really strong advocates that you guys are kind of putting information out there for other people to see on a, a, a really great platform that people can listen to so thank you guys so much well, thank yeah you for thanks for on. being here we'll we'll have we'll have you on again after the next update maybe in the end of the summer or so hopefully there's some new info Always. There's never a shortage of info. Yeah, juicy ministry gossip. I like that. We'll title the podcast that. That's great. All right. I'm going to have to go get some good juicy ministry gossip. Good luck with it. Thank you, Denise, so much for being on with us. It's much appreciated. You're welcome. Take care, guys. Hello, MTP Podcast listeners. Rachel and I would like to remind everyone that PA Helpers, the online exam prep course for Canadian PAs, continues to be on sale for $49 until Friday, July 6th. Find us at www.pahelpers.ca. Meet the PA's podcast is sponsored by pahelpers.ca where you can find all your Canadian exam prep needs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit us at mtppodcast.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we would love your feedback.